Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful and amazing word which we read every day in this great book. Thank you, Father, for feeding us and teaching us and washing us by your precious word. Father, we thank you for this day in which we remember what our beloved Lord has done for us. We had a great joy to remember him. But also, Father, we are ready now to listen to your word. Open our hearts. And please, Father, prepare our conscience to listen and to be ready to obey your teaching. Give your servant wisdom and help to convey your thoughts and your love to my brothers and sisters in this afternoon. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I think this verse in Jeremiah 31 is an amazing one. And usually it's neglected because of the verse after it. Verse 3 in this chapter speaks about the everlasting love. The Lord told Israel, I loved you, everlasting love. And I think most of us, if not all of us, remember very well this verse. But unfortunately, we ignore another amazing verse, which is verse 2. Verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. People who, who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. What a wonderful message and a great promise to all of us. In the wilderness, we will find grace. Grace in the wilderness. Around this title, I will share with you a few thoughts. Grace in the wilderness. What the Lord put on my heart this afternoon is trying to answer four questions. I think we need to know the answers of these important questions. The first one, what is the wilderness in our Christian life? What does wilderness mean for us? The second question is, what is the role of morality and our salvation. What is the role of morality? Christian behavior, Christian ethics. What is the role of morality and our salvation? The third question, what is the role of the wilderness and our morality? Is there a relation between tribulations, stress, pressure, 
between the wilderness with all its pressures. Is there a relation between wilderness and morality? The last question is, what is the role of grace in our wilderness? These are the four questions which I will just tackle them and leave it at the end as a homework to think about it and to meditate upon them, to reap food for us. I assume that all of us in these days, we are in a great need to it. The first question, what does the wilderness mean? for us as Christians. I think my beloved brothers and sisters here, they, you are not in need to emphasize for you the importance of Israel's journey in general or Israel's story. It's very important and crucial to understand it in all its fine details. Because twice in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit taught us that all these issues happened to them as example. Happened to them to learn from it, or actually to be warned by what happened with them. It's a great mistake to ignore the Old Testament in general and to ignore Israel's story in the Old Testament because many doctrines, many teachings in the New Testament, we cannot understand them without the Old Testament. The Old Testament sometimes gives questions which we cannot answer away from the New Testament, but on the other side, a lot of teachings in the New Testament, we cannot understand them without illustrations and symbols from the Old Testament. The main story in the New Testament is the story of salvation, the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, the main story is the salvation of Israel from Egypt. And in the details of their story, we have many lessons to our story. From their salvation, we learn a lot about our salvation. So the wilderness, in their story, has a great role in the story. Wilderness occupied most of the Pentateuch, most of the first five books. And when we read the story thoroughly, we realize from Exodus 3 and from Exodus 6 and from other many places that the wilderness was not the final goal. It wasn't the purpose of God for them. God promised to take them out of Egypt and directly will give them Canaan, the new land, the fruitful land to have rest in this land, to be blessed in the land. Wilderness came in between as a part of God's government, as a part of God's plan 
but it was not God's purpose for them. It's a must, as we will see soon, but let me say it's a necessity. We, we have to pass through the wilderness, but it's not the final destination. It's not the purpose of God. So, what is the wilderness in our lives? Briefly, I will say, or I would say that it's pressures, stresses, tribulations, the place in which you will never find complete rest. Wilderness is the place in which you will never find complete rest. Does this mean anything for you? When you live without complete rest. You pray for something, for a problem, until the Lord in his mercy answers your prayer and give you rest. And you cannot enjoy it for a long time. Before enjoying the rest you have, you discover that there is something else you need to pray for. Another tribulation, another pressure, another stress. And the, what really amazes me and uh, makes many problems for many believers, that they come questioning and wonder, and uh, they are confused. Why? Why God does not give us rest for a long time? Why we are always under pressure? Why we are always there is suffering from something? Why we are always living in this world in stress? Why? Why? My answer, my beloved, it's God's plan. It's the wilderness. It's not God's purpose for us, but it's a must. It's a necessity. And this is what I will try to explain more. But briefly, the wilderness is very important for morality. We cannot live the moral beauty which God purposed for us without passing through the wilderness. I'll clarify more this soon, but not before answering this question, what is the role of morality in our salvation? What really saddens my heart and broke my heart is reducing salvation to just rescued from the wrath of God. If we think in our praises, our songs, and our even prayers and thanksgivings, we focus and emphasize that salvation means that we have been saved from the wrath of God. But when we read the New Testament more accurately, we will discover that salvation is not just salvation from the wrath of God. 
but salvation from sin. And what is sin? Sin is ugliness. Sin is the distortion of every beautiful thing. And what is the most beautiful thing God has created is our souls. God created many things in the first six days. And he usually said, and he saw what he has done is good. But when he created man, he said, it's very good. The soul of every one of us, and the child, and the elderly people, in a woman, in a man, in a Jews and Gentiles, the soul of the human being is the most beautiful thing God has created. I don't consider myself exaggerating if I say that it's more beautiful in his eyes than angels. When God created humans, angels watched his joy and they sang a song. They exploded in shouting to share God his joy. And he expressed this in the book of Proverbs chapter 8 when he said, my pleasures, my pleasures with the son of sons of Adam. But unfortunately, sin came in. Romans 5.12. Sin came in. In direct, bold opposition to God's purpose. Sin came in by an act of disobedience. And corrupted everything. Turned everything beautiful to ugliness. Turned the nature to ugliness. We started to hear about thorns. About travail. About pain. About suffering. But what broke his heart. Is the distortion. Which happened in our souls. My beloved brothers and sisters, please listen to me carefully. Sin made us ugly. And without the salvation of Jesus Christ, we are just ugly creatures. And we need salvation. We need salvation not just from the wrath of God. But we need salvation from ugliness. Ugliness. If you don't notice, if you don't realize, if you are not aware of our ugliness, we are in a big trouble. Ugliness, while we are alone with ourselves. If we watch ourselves, in solitary places, we will discover our ugliness. Our ugliness in our homes, when we are away from the church, from each other. And the church on Sunday morning, all of us are beautiful. Beautiful faces, 
beautiful clothes, beautiful manners, beautiful behavior. Not all the, the time, I know. Sometimes, unfortunately, we show our ugliness even in the church through arrogance, through bitterness, when we don't welcome others and respect them and love them and appreciate them, when we are not dealing with us in the humbleness and meekness of Christ, when we are not living in holiness, when we don't live each other out of a pure heart, simply and intensely, we are ugly. We wound each other. We produce a lot of pain. My beloved brothers and sisters, believe me, uh, every day, on a daily basis, I meet with wounded Christians. They are not wounded from outside, but they are wounded from inside because of our ugliness. Jesus Christ came to save us, not just from the wrath of God, but firstly from our ugliness, to make us like him. What is the purpose of our God the Father when he predestined us before the foundation of the world to be his sons? When we read about this purpose, we don't read that before the foundation of the Lord God predestined us to save us from the wrath of God. But he predestined us to be like his son, Jesus Christ. To give us his beauty. To see us walking like him. To see us have his bowel, have his feelings have his thoughts, have his humbleness. Our souls, because of sin, are distorted. And the, deep, the deepest need is to be saved from these distortions which happen to our souls because we are born having Sin, or we are poor, sinful, ugly creatures. I'm not exaggerating if I say that there is no hope to anyone to ask Jesus to save him if he does not see his ugliness. Actually, I doubt those who just come to God because of fear of hell. And they just want to, to escape the wrath of God. Because any rational being, of course, he wants to escape the wrath. But not every rational being seeks beauty and to be saved from ugliness. And when I speak about beauty of the soul and salvation from distortions or restoration of the soul 
to be like Christ, to develop Christ-like character. When I talk about this issue, I'm just talking about morality. Morality. How to behave. How to think. How to live. Apostle John said in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 1, If anyone said or claimed that he abides in him, as Jesus walked, he has to walk. I am saved. If people noticed that I'm different, I'm not just a person who respects ethics, no. But I have this kind of beauty of Jesus Christ. This is the true salvation. So, the role of morality in our salvation is very, very essential, but unfortunately, it's ignored, and we emphasize it, that salvation from the wrath of God, and this is a big mistake, and we need to refocus on morality and the beauty of Jesus Christ as an aspect or that the greatest aspect of our salvation. And of course, by default, if I had the beauty of Jesus, if Jesus restored my soul, there will never be wrath. I'm in Christ, and those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation, no judgment for them. So it just comes naturally. So salvation is restoration of the soul, restoration of the beauty, developing Christ-like character. And this is morality. Now I can come to the third question. What is the role of the wilderness in morality? If morality is essential for us, or by other words, if the beauty of the character is essential in our salvation, and it's important to us, my brother, my sister, please welcome, welcome from all your heart the pain of the wilderness. Because without the pain in the wilderness, Without the suffering in the wilderness, we will never gain this kind of beauty. We cannot live morally successful as Jesus Christ lived without being passing in the wilderness. I know the wilderness is the last thing we like. All of us, we hate the wilderness. In wilderness, we don't have rest. Just remember what the, the Bible said about the wilderness. The place of snakes, the place of scorpions, the place where there is no water. There is nothing to rely on in it. There is nothing guaranteed in the wilderness. There is 
noticed. Even when they made their camp in a certain place, they don't know even how long they will live in this place. Sometimes it was just a few days after they made all this effort in making the camp and arranging themselves, and suddenly they see the cloud is moving. And once it's move, it moves, they have to go after it. No rest. So please, don't be surprised if you don't have rest. Don't be surprised if you have always something pressuring you, stressing you. Just remember, we are in the wilderness. We didn't enter yet the final rest. There is a rest. There is a sept. There is a sept for us. We are waiting it, expecting it. It's coming for sure. But until the Lord's come, until the Lord comes, we are passing in wilderness. And my message or what on my heart is to embrace your wilderness. Don't hate your wilderness. Don't fight against your wilderness. But just think biblically. Think spiritually. Try to find the blessings which God treasured for us in the wilderness. And maybe this chapter will help you a lot. Did you notice when Brother Imad read this chapter, how many times the Lord said to humble thee, to humble you. Did you notice this? Just look in this chapter and try to find three times. Try to find the verses and tell me the verses. In which verses the Holy Spirit said that in the wilderness the Lord will humble thee. The first time was in verse 2. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee. To humble thee. The second time in verse 3. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna. And the third time, in verse 16, who fed thee in the wilderness with the manna which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee. Firstly, I want to, to say that humble thee here has nothing to do with dignity or respect. It's not the purpose of God to hum humiliate us, but to humble thee to put you under pressure, to put you in a stress, to put you in a very narrow way, to let you live for few days, few months, few years, to live day and night as if there is no exit from what you are in. This is the wilderness, to humble thee, to make you realize that you are very poor and has nothing to do with these kinds of stresses.
to humble me. How many times in my life, short or long, whatever, I was in this situation, humbled, stressed, feeling that there is no exit. I know it's a very tough situation, but really, I'm thanking God for each one of us who pass in these days for three reasons. The first time he said he humbled thee is to bless you with the greatest blessing, which is to let you know who you are, to let you know, realize how much ugliness in our hearts. In the peaceful times, we are very smart in hiding our ugliness. But in the times of tribulation, we cannot do this. Do you believe me? Nobody is believing me. Do you agree with me? I will say it again and just think about it. In the times of rest, in the peaceful times, we are very smart in hiding our ugliness. That's why we are delayed in receiving his healing. We are not growing in Christ. We are not healed from our ugliness. We are still wounding each other. We are still idle in winning souls for Christ, in fighting the good fight. Why? Because we are living a rest. We don't realize our ugliness. But I thank God for the stressful times which led me on my knees to pray and to be enlightened about my ugliness. To know your heart. Read, read with me verse 2. Again, to humble thee and to prove thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart. To prove thee. Do you accept this? Are you ready for this surgery? That God prove thee and to let you know what is in your heart. I imagine somebody is answering, I know my heart. I'm, I'm, sometimes I do mistakes, but I have a very kind heart. Brother, you don't know your heart. Sister, believe me, you don't know your heart. Don't believe your fathers when you say that, your father, your parents, when they said, you are very sweet, you are very kind. All parents say this about their kids. I remember one day I was visiting a brother and I asked him to share his testimony with me. And uh, he said, I was a sinner. And his mother said, Yajil Musiba, you were a sinner, my dear son. No, 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 don't say this. We cannot imagine that these babies which are, who are grown up in Christian families, nice. Oh, you don't know what are in your heart, what are in their hearts, what is in your heart. Nothing 
nothing else, just ugliness. All of us gone astray. All of us are corrupted by sin. But the culture, the family, just helped us to be distracted and to be not face to face with our ugliness. And you know, my beloved, the most evil, the most evil thing which hide our ugliness is religion. And when we turned Christianity to religion, we became very successful in hiding our ugliness and to be distracted. I just watched a video yesterday to Woody Allen, the cinema man who is very, very famous. He said, all our work in making movies just to make one thing, to distract people, to make distractions. And the religion is doing this also. Do you go to the church every Sunday? Do you break bread? Do you sing the songs? Do you read the Bible? Perfect. You don't need anything else. And they help us to not face our ugliness. But thank God, stress can do this. Tribulations can do this. That's why God didn't prevent tribulation from any one of us. This is what I want to say. God will allow each one of us certain measure of stress to give us this blessing to face, to realize, to come face to face with our, can I hear it? Ugliness. Why? Because he wants to restore us, to give us the beauty of Christ. I pray may God help us to accept this thought. The second thing, in verse 3, he said, he humbles thee for another reason. He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knowest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. I know that the first application of the meaning of this verse is that we need the word of God as the spiritual food, exactly as our bodies need the bread for our physical nourishment. But I think there is a deeper meaning here. We are finite. We are finite. And we are not, as in the previous verse, ugly creatures by sin but we are dependent creatures. We cannot sustain ourselves. We are just sustained because of his word. Every single morning, God gives a new order to sustain me. Do you believe this? I am sustained just by his word. Not by bread. Not by, by my power. Not by my wisdom. Not by my fantastic plans to earn my living. 
not by watching my health. It's good to earn your living, it's good to watch your health, but you have to know that what sustains you in life is just one thing, a word from God. By him we live and move and exist to teach you that you need him. You are a finite creature, dependent creature. You cannot live without God. We are living in a culture which tries all the time to convince us that we are able to do it. We can do it. I remember 25 years ago, I heard an American man saying, if you can imagine it, we can do it. As if we are almighty beings. No, brothers. Every day proves that we are very finite, very weak, very dependent creatures. Even the biological studies affirms that the, the, the human being is the longest creature in his dependency on his parents. If you have a cat, I don't advise to have a cat or a cat, but anyways, if you have a cat or a dog, just a few weeks, it will be independent. It will be independent. But all of you have kids. When they became independent, it's a long time. We are created dependent creatures. And this is not a negative thing. Because he created us to be dependent on him. On the infinite God. On the almighty God. And once we have this kind of beautiful relationship with him, I am embracing my finitude. I love my dependency on him because it makes me always feel that I need my creator. I need my father to rely on him, on his wisdom, on his power, even to live day by day. But the third thing, in verse 16, he said this, he humbled thee Verse 16, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy later end. And I, I have a question here. God, is it a must to humble me to do good at the end for me? And his answer is yes. Maher, I can't bless you without humbling you because I know you if I gave you a blessing now without preparation without equipping you for this blessing the blessing will corrupt you and you will corrupt the blessing and I know hundreds and thousands of stories of people Christians whom God has blessed them with many blessings and unfortunately the blessings corrupted them and my beloved, it's at least 40 years to equip us to be able to carry the blessing or to have the blessing. It's, we are deeply corrupted. God cannot bless us with all what he wants to bless us. 
before equipping us for the blessing. Finally, the fourth question, what is the role of grace in our morality? If you noticed what I have just said, morality is to know yourself, to know your ugliness, to come to the Lord always to be saved by developing Christ-like character. The second thing, to know that you are finite and you are a dependent creature, so to rely on the Lord and to accept stress and tribulation to be ready for the blessings, to make a good use of God's blessings, not to abuse his blessings. So wilderness is a must for morality. What is the role of morality in our salvation? It's the main thing. To save our souls from distortions, to restore our souls, as Psalm 23 said, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. He saves it from all distortion, from all ugliness. The second thing, wilderness makes me feel I'm to know my reality. I am a dependent creature. This is the reality. And thirdly, to equip me to be humbled. And when the Lord gives me his blessings, my heart does not go, I don't lift it. Do you remember Hezekiah, the king? He was in the wilderness. When he was in the wilderness? When he cried. When he cried, when he was sick, and the Lord healed him. But do you remember what happened after this? How did he use the blessing of healing? I am sure that many of us are praying now for healing from different diseases. But just remember Hezekiah, when the Lord healed him from his sickness, how did he use this blessing to be proud? And to show the Babylon people all his treasures. And he brought a curse upon himself because of his pride. Do you remember Uzziah the king? Who reigned for 52 years. God blessed him with many blessings. But he wasn't ready for these blessings. And it happened the same. And the, the, the scripture said the same word about his heart is lifted up. And he broke. He has broken because of his pride. But the last thing, what is the role of grace in our wilderness? Grace, I think we have been reminded this morning what, a great, what, what great thy grace, how great thy grace we said this song about the unmeasurable grace, his grace. In these three aspects, let us remember, when he proves us, this is the most important thing, please pay attention to it. When he proves our hearts and showed us our ugliness, the grace came in to remind me that I am a saint, I am accepted, because I am washed by his blood. Wow. Many people 
do not want to face their ugliness because they don't know the grace of God. They don't know that sprinkled blood. They don't know anything about Jesus who brought us blameless before God. When the Lord, when your father lead you to discover and realize your ugliness, just remember one thing, that you are in a white robe before God. Jesus is my beauty before the Father. So whenever the government of God led me to see my ugliness, the grace of God came in to remind me that I am beautiful creature before God. This will help me to accept this surgery. And I will tell my father, show me more and more of my ugliness. And please heal me. Because I'm now in peace. I know that I am fully accepted before God. The second thing, when I am in stress and the tribulation and I feel that there is no exit and I realize that I'm a finite creature, dependent creature, I'm so poor, I am so weak, grace will come in. And you will hear the Lord saying to you as he said to Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 12. He said that, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So the saving grace will come in when I feel my ugliness. And the sufficient grace will come in when I feel my weakness. And finally, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about his character. He was saying something about his labors in ministry more than the other apostles. And actually, this morning I received a message from a brother from Egypt. And he said something about Paul. Something really amazing about Paul. He shared it with me. And I replied with these two sentences. Yes, I agree, my brother. He is a hero of faith. And he was the first of his class. Wow, what a character we have in this apostle. His character was fully equipped to embrace all the blessings of God and his heart. Never, never went high. He was always humble. Even he had this blessing, which nobody else had it in the entire history. He went to the third heaven, and he came back. And he has revelations more than any other apostle. But he was fully equipped to sustain these blessings. I don't know if God gave me something like this. I will never be in Woludale meeting, maybe. Oh, it's, it's too much, too much to go to the third heaven to see the Lord and to, to have all these revelations. 
But Paul was ready. And it was normal for him. Why? He said these words to his brothers and sisters. He said, as his, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. This is what I like to meditate or to embrace from this wonderful verse. The people who survived the sword of wrath of God, the people who survived the sword, found grace in the wilderness. Every day, we will face our wilderness. I pray May the Lord help us not to murmur, not to be in bitterness, but to embrace our wilderness and to receive his grace. The grace which proves us and shows us what in our hearts, but at the same time will remind us that we are beautiful in his eyes. So I will pray to get rid out of all my ugliness. When I discover that I am weak and finite and really don't find any exit, his grace is sufficient. And when I'm suffering pain, I remember that the grace of God is shaping me to prepare this kind of character to embrace and to be able to have his blessings. I will finish by just one thing. All the promises for Israel were to own things, but for Christians to be like Christ. Please remember this, my beloved. Peter said in his second epistle, chapter 1, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly the great and the precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. The promises for Israel that they own something but for us to be something. So my prayer, every one of us, Lord, I want to be, to be beautiful, to be beautiful like Jesus. This is the true salvation. Amen? Amen. This is my wish this day. Lord, I want some, something from you. I want one thing from you, to be beautiful. Beautiful like Jesus. And I will grow, go through my wilderness thanking you, grateful to you, if the wilderness will help me to be like Jesus. Let us pray. 
Father, we thank you once again. You have gathered us around your beloved son as your children to show us once again how much you loved us. You loved us as you loved Jesus. And we believe you, Father. We trust your heart. We trust that really, indeed, you love us as you love Jesus, your beloved Son. Father, we confess that many times we broke your heart by our ugliness. We are sorry for that. We are really sorry for that. And we think of all what you have done to restore the beauty to help us to get rid out of all this ugliness. But we were disobedient and resistant. Forgive us. Help us, Father, to rely on your saving grace, sufficient grace, shaping grace, to wait every morning for a new measure of your grace. And we trust what the Bible said, from his fullness, we will have grace above grace. Father, we love you. We accept all our pains and suffering because we trust the sufficiency of your grace. In Jesus' name, we thank, we ask, and we trust that you will accept. Thank you.